the First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. If you brought uh, with you a Bible or if you have a Bible app on one of your mobile devices, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter number four. Um, today is what we call actually Vision Sunday. And if you're new here or you, you were, were not here last, uh, last year when we had Vision Sunday, let me just kind of explain to you what Vision Sunday is all about. You see, every year we celebrate our church's anniversary um, on Anniversary Sunday like we did two weeks ago. In fact, we celebrated our 77th year as a congregation. And our Anniversary Sunday is a really great time for us to take a look back at the history of the church. It's a great time to look back at some of the things that we accomplished the previous year. But Vision Sunday, uh, Vision Sunday is where we actually take some time to talk about where we are going. We get a chance to talk about the future. Now normally Vision Sunday is the weekend right after Anniversary Sunday, but obviously uh, with my back going out, um, we had to kind of postpone things for a week. But uh, So today is Vision Sunday, and, and, and as I said, the purpose of Vision Sunday is to talk about where we are going, not just... Uh, as a church, but also as individuals and also as a community at large. And uh, we're going to talk about the future today. And today we're going to spend some time taking a look forward at the future of First Baptist Church. We're going to, you know, and we're going to talk about what God wants us to accomplish together. You see, we serve a God. We serve a God that's the God of the possible. He is in the business of taking the ridiculous and making it a reality. Our God takes ordinary people and he uses them to do the extraordinary things and his extraordinary will and his extraordinary work in the world around us. And I believe that that we all in our own lives have a God-given dream, a God-given vision that he wants for all of us to accomplish. And I believe that God has a plan and a vision for us individually, but I also believe that he has a plan and a vision for us corporately. And and this corporate vision is what I want to come back to and what I want to talk about today. I want to spend some time today with with this kind of all of us dreaming together for a minute. I want us to spend some time kind of drawing closer together towards this common goal that God has given us as a church. I want to spend some time today kind of clarifying the direction of of the church is going. And and I want all of us to come together with one mind and one accord, uh, committing ourselves fully to the vision that God has for this congregation here at First Baptist Church. And so to set this this up, I want to remind you of something we talked about last year. And what I want to remind you of is, is that, that our community and our country and, and, and our nation does not suffer from a lack of churches, okay? The struggles that go on around the world and, and the struggles that are in our community are, are not struggles because there are not enough churches in the world. The difficulties we face as a community, whether it's drug abuse or alcoholism or pornography or, or lack of economic opportunity or, or, or divorce or family issues or whatever else it is, these issues don't come from a lack of churches in our community. In fact, there are seven, seven churches here in Boron. Seven different churches with seven different buildings, with seven different congregations, with seven different pastors leading right here in this community. And and within about half an hour's driving distance, there's about 50 churches with 50 different buildings and 50 different congregations and 50 different pastors as well. All of these churches with a variety of backgrounds and worship modes and ministries and seating arrangements and building styles. And the truth is that there's a church for everybody. If, if, If somebody wants to go to church, there is a church to go to. And so it's not a lack of churches in our community. That's the problem. Problem, okay? The play, there are places to go for, uh, to, to worship if a person really wants to go. So that's not the problem. The problem is, is that people just don't want to go to church. 
And the, over, the overwhelming reason they don't want to go to church is because they don't see the church as relevant to their lives. They don't see the church as the source of hope and healing. People outside the church don't see the church as a place where you come when you're spiritually broken. Instead, they see it as a place where you come once you have your life together. You see, the problem has been for decades that the church has been a place for church people. The church at large has become insider-focused. The church at large has become what, it's, what, what the insiders want and what the insiders like instead of what the outsiders actually need. That's why the church tends to get filled up with church people who speak a church language and follow their, their favorite man-made traditions. And those churches tend to die slowly over time because, because a, a church becomes more, as it becomes more and more inwardly focused, it loses its drive to connect and reach out those, to those people that are outside the church. You see, instead of becoming fishers of men, we become keepers of the aquarium. Now, I say all that because a big part of the strategy at First Baptist Church over the last several years has, to be, has been to reverse that trend. We are systematically trying to focus on, you know, take the focus off the insiders and what they want and shift the focus to what the outsiders of the church actually need. And this process, we have actually reinvented what First Baptist Church is all about. And, and those of you who, who have been here the longest actually have seen the most dramatic transformation. We've changed the way we look. We, we, we change the way we talk. We change the way we do church and, and the way we do ministry and the way we even do community. And because of that, we have a vibrant church culture. Here at First Baptist Church, the Word of God is boldly proclaimed and God is worshipped in spirit and in truth by this congregation. And lives are absolutely changing as a result. People's lives are being transformed and we can actually see it taking place. Insiders are growing in their walk with God in a new and exciting ways. And outsiders come here and immediately feel welcome. And they quickly become integrated into our church family. And it's an exciting time here at First Baptist Church. You can see God's fingerprints and, and, and see Him at work here. But as I said last year, I believe that the very best uh, that, 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 that we have to offer is still to come because I believe that God has bigger and more audacious plans for us in this congregation and that there are a lot, there's a lot of things that God wants to accomplish through First Baptist Church and there's a lot of things that God wants to accomplish through you individually as well and that's why I think that, that he put it on my heart to do the series um, Joshua which uh, on Joshua which was titled Be Strong and Courageous uh, because God has a plan for you individually as, and, and also as us as a congregation. He wants you and he wants us to be strong and courageous just like Joshua was. He wants you to trust in him and follow where he leads. Now, if you missed that series or part of that series, you're encouraged to check it out either by going uh, to our SoundCloud page or our church website, uh, and you can listen to the whole series there. And for your convenience, we place the uh, website addresses in your bulletin. But the truth remains, God has a plan for all of us individually and also as a church. And that's what I want to, day, as I want to talk about and take some time to reshare with you the vision that we have here at First Baptist Church and what I believe that God is calling us to aspire to be. Now the first thing that we need to talk about when, we, when it comes to our vision is the mission of the church. The mission of the church is primary. The mission of our church is what we're setting out to accomplish in the world around us. And the vision is how we actually get there. And so with that, it's important to really be clear about this mission that we have at First Baptist Church. And the mission of First Baptist Church is simply this. Here it is. In fact, we talk about it all the time. Our mission is to create spiritually maturing Christ followers. That's the mission. To create spiritually maturing 
Christ followers. And you have to understand what this means. Our mission is not to feed the hungry. Our mission is not to clothe the naked. Our mission is not to give kids things to do for the summer. Our mission is not to be the largest, fastest growing church in the community. Our mission is not to create Baptists. Our mission is not to create people who memorize whole portions of the Bible. Our mission is not to create people who have a perfect attendance record for church. Those are all good things, but those are not our mission. They are byproducts of what our mission actually is. Our mission is to create spiritually maturing Christ followers. You see, the Bible doesn't call people who follow Jesus Baptists. Okay? The Bible doesn't call people who follow Jesus Baptists. In fact, it only uses Christian a couple of times in the Bible. Okay? Over and over again in the Bible, though, the Bible calls people who trust Jesus disciples or followers. And this is an important thing to understand. You see, the idea of being a follower, a disciple, is to be an active student to a master. A disciple is essentially, you're, 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 you're being an apprentice to a master. A disciple is committed to learning everything that they can from the teacher in an effort to become just like the teacher. Becoming a disciple or a follower, um, you know, what they do is they follow the teacher wherever the, the teacher goes. And they do whatever the teacher does. And the disciple follows the teachings of the rabbi or the teacher. And, and so they learn these teachings by listening but also doing. And so if, you're, if you were a disciple of Christ, you were expected to actually follow him both in word and in deed. And so at First Baptist Church, that's what we seek to create. Authentic Christ followers in the spirit of that tradition. Regardless of what label we put on them, whether it's Baptists or Christians or Jesus freaks or Bible thumpers or whatever you want to call them, okay? We seek to bring people into a salvation relationship with Jesus and help them not to become religious. You know, we don't want to help them become religious who follow a religion. We want to help them to have a relationship with Jesus and follow Him. You see, we want to help, we want to help them to trust what Jesus said and to do what Jesus said to do. So it isn't about the way we dress, and it isn't about the kind of music that we like to listen to. It isn't about me trying to earn my way into God's graces. And it isn't about me trying to prove that I'm better than someone else. It's about committing my life to Jesus Christ and then living the way that Jesus had demonstrated and said for me to live it. That right there is what we seek to create here at First Baptist Church. We seek to create Christ followers. But that's not where we leave it though. Because we don't just create Christ followers, we create spiritually maturing Christ followers. And this is an important distinction. It's an important idea that we need to get our heads wrapped around because it's one thing to become a Christian. It's a whole other thing to become a Christian who is maturing in his or her faith. You see, God didn't call you to pray a prayer and accept Jesus into your life and just leave you where you are. Okay, God brought you into salvation so that you would begin to grow up spiritually speaking. In fact, Paul even says clearly in Ephesians 4.13 that we're to grow up spiritually until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, okay, spiritual maturity, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's Ephesians 4.13. We as Christ followers are expected to grow up spiritually until we reach maturity and until we are conformed into the very image of Jesus himself. Now, why do we need to grow up spiritually? Well, Paul answers that in the next verse. He says, so, we may not, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
So we're not fooled by false teachers. And so we're not fooled by the world. And we're not fooled by our culture. And we're not fooled by, by people who follow religious traditions instead of Jesus. That way we can be effective as we pursue the work that God has for us to do. You see, as a church, okay, for the work we do as a church and for the cause of Christ to be effective in this world around us, we must aspire to become spiritually mature. The light that we have in Jesus, the light that, that is in us for Jesus as individuals and in our, as a congregation corporately, if that's going to shine in the world around us, we must be in the process of maturing spiritually. We must be growing to become like Jesus. And it doesn't matter if you're a brand new Christian or if you've been a Christian for 50 years. We are all called to be continually growing into the image of Christ. And so because of that, our mission here at First Baptist Church is simply to create spiritually maturing Christ followers. We're going to help people have a relationship with Jesus, and then we're going to help them to grow up into the fullness of the image of Christ. And everything we do here at First Baptist Church must be pointed at that end. Everything that we do here must be pointed at that mission. And so with that, the vision that we have actually must also be pointed to that as well. And it is. The vision that we have for First Baptist Church is, is, is pointed at creating spiritually maturing Christ followers. And, that, and the vision of First Baptist Church is this. Our vision is to be a loving community of Christ followers, passionately in pursuit of Jesus, deeply connected to one another, and completely committed to sharing the hope and the healing of the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world. That right there is our vision. We're to be passionately in pursuit of Jesus. That means we're pursuing Christ with all our hearts and all our mind and all our soul and all our strength and everything that we have. That we are sold out for Jesus. That we're, that we're going to go where Jesus wants us to go and we're going to do the things that Jesus wants us to do. That we are following Him in word and in deed and we're continually moving closer toward Jesus, becoming more like Him. And that we're passionately in pursuit of Him. And because of that, then there we are deeply connected to one another. We bear one another's burdens. We lift each other up in times of need. We mourn with those who mourn. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And we do so corporately, but we also do it more effectively in small groups. And we're committed to the ideal of community. That we need each other. That we are one body. What happens to you affects me. And what happens to me affects you. In fact, Paul says, there is one body. And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. We are deeply connected to one another as a church. And then finally, we are completely committed to bringing the hope and the healing of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our community and our world. We're com completely committed to do this. Which means we're willing to do the hard work. We are willing to get involved. We're willing to step out of our comfort zones. It means that we adopt this attitude of send me, Lord. Being completely committed means we, we, we press on even when it seems like the odds are against us. Even when we face big obstacles like our culture and now even our very own government. In face of these giants, we continue to press on because... We are a loving community of Christ followers, passionately in pursuit of Jesus, deeply connected to one another, completely committed to sharing the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and our world. Let's all say that together. We're a loving community of Christ followers, passionately in pursuit of Jesus, deeply connected to one another, completely committed to sharing the hope and the healing of the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world. And all God's people said, Amen.
That right there, that's the vision of First Baptist Church. That is who we're aspiring to be. This is the direction that we're going. And every effort that we make are to, is to go to that direction. We are to create spiritually maturing Christ followers by doing this. That is where we are headed. And as we talked about last year... As with any God-given vision, there is going to be obstacles in the way. There's going to be giants in the way of that. There will always going to be things that, that create resistance to our cause. Okay, um, and, and last year we talked about how right up front, one of the greatest giants that we face toward achieving this vision is the way that, that outsiders see the church. We talked about how those outside of the church don't see the church as a place of hope and healing. The church you know, in America isn't seen by many as a place of healing and hope. Instead, the church in America, you know, has this identity crisis for so many people. Uh, churches today either are focused completely on love and grace and forgiveness, or they're completely focused on the law and obedience and holiness. Churches are either focused on grace to the point they refuse to call sin, sin, or they are focused so much on the truth that they, they refuse to extend grace to those who need it. And we see it all the time. That's why we live in an era where, where the extremes are defined by churches like the Westboro Baptist Church who hates everybody. And on the other end of the spectrum, we have the Methodist denomination that's okay with same-sex marriage and homosexual clergy, and they fight actively to protect abortion rights, and they actually support Planned Parenthood. Now, I realize that these are extreme examples, but... But, but, but the truth is that most churches, like, like with parents, fall on one side of the line or the other. The truth is that most people see the church this way. The church is either all loving and, and, and a per, what a, nothing a person does is wrong. Or the church is a bunch of rule-making, hate-mongering bigots. And so the, the, the truth is that most churches tend to fall on one side of the line or the other in some degree. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. The church isn't supposed to be simply about grace and with the liberty that, that we have in Christ. And it's not supposed to be simply about the truth and the requirements of the law. It's supposed to be about both. In fact, John 1.14, the Bible tells us that the Word became flesh. And we know from the context that the Word is Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory as of the, uh, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That Jesus was full to the brim of grace and truth. Which means he would say, I forgive you. I don't condemn you. But then he would say, you need to repent and you need to sin no more. You see, Jesus came to the earth to, not to abolish the law, but to actually uphold the law. And then he refused to condemn those who trusted in him, who fell short of the law. You see, in Jesus, we see this tension that we, all of us, want to resolve. We want it to be about either grace or truth. We don't want it to be about both because that is harder Balancing between grace and truth is harder to do. But, but Jesus, he was full of both of them. And he was full to the brim of grace and truth. And not only that, he actually lived out both of them. So God through Christ gave us the grace to be saved. But God through Christ also gave us the grace so that we could have the power to change. The truth is this. You see that God actually loves you just like you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. And so as a church, we must be like Christ, full of grace and truth. You need to be loving and forgiving and compassionate, but at the same time, we need to live out and tell people the truth. And last year, we put together this little short video that reminds us of what that looks like here at First Baptist Church, and here it is real quick. So what does this mean for us? I mean, what does this tension between grace and truth have to do with us? I mean, Jesus, the Bible says, is full of grace and truth. What does that mean then for you and, and for me and for this church? Everything. You see, 
We are to be spiritually maturing Christ followers, growing into the fullness of the image of Christ, which means if Jesus was full of grace and truth, then I need to be full of grace and truth, which means you need to be full of grace and truth. And because we're the church, then the church needs to be full of grace and truth. And Christ is the example of that. In fact, let me show you what this looks like. It looks like this. No matter who you are, and no matter where you've been, and no matter what you've done, you are welcome here. That you are welcome in our building, that you are welcome in our community, and you are welcome in our lives. And we love you and care about you, and we're here for you, no strings attached. And understand, we're going to be honest with you, and we're going to tell you the truth, because, because we love you, we will tell you the truth. We owe it to you, and we owe it to God to be real with you and honest with you, even if it hurts. And so we're going to tell you that drunkenness is killing your family and your relationships. That pornography is eating you up from the inside out. That jealousy and bitterness is going to destroy your family. That infidelity and adultery and lust and envy, all those things are sin. And those sins dishonor God. And that sin at some point will cost you something in your lives. A sin always does. We're going to tell you that the way that you act at work, away from church and away from your Christian friends, that matters. The way that you treat your kids matters. The way that you talk to your spouse matters. The way that you treat strangers, especially those who are different from you, matters. But you also have to understand, we we don't condemn you. We don't hate you. We don't look down our self-righteous noses at you. In fact, we forgive you. We love you. More importantly, we identify with you. And we're here for you. And we're praying for you. And you and your life is important to us. And we want to help you. We want to help you draw close to the only one who can offer you any real hope at all and any real healing at all, which is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're going to help you to get to know who he is. And we're going to help you have a relationship with him. We're going to help you begin to follow him and to become a spiritually maturing Christ follower too. And we're going to tell you the truth because it's going to get hard. And at times you're going to have doubts. And there'll be times you're going to wonder where God is. And there'll be times you're going to feel like you're failing God. And I'm going to tell you right now, there will be times you will fail him. But we're going to give you grace. And we won't get offended by your doubt. And we won't get upset by your hard questions. And we won't disown you when you fall down and make a mess of things. We're going to love you. And we're going to consistently remind you that Jesus loves you. And he loves you so much that he died for you. And when the road gets hard, we're going to be here, right here with you. And no matter what happens, we will be here all the while pouring into your life both grace and truth. Because we are a loving community of Christ followers, passionately in pursuit of Jesus, deeply connected to one another, completely committed to share the hope and the healing of the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world because we are First Baptist Church and you are welcome here. So that is... um, who we're striving to be here at First Baptist Church. And we're going to continue to focus on being full of grace and truth here um, as a church and as individuals as we go forward, not losing sight of the fact that Jesus is our example. Now today, using this as a springboard, I want to talk with you just real quick about another area or another facet of following Jesus that I believe that we should focus on this coming year. Um, as, we, as we move towards this vision, just like you know, we consciously focused on being full of grace and truth last year, this year I have another 
another facet of following Christ that I believe that we struggle with that I think that we need to focus on that will help us move towards this mission and vision together. And I think that, um, that this component of following Jesus that we're going to talk about today is perhaps one of the most important um, of being a Christ follower, but I fear it's probably one of the most glossed over and probably one of the most forgotten. You see, as Christians... And I'm saying, I'm talking about myself here as well. We as Christians have this tendency to pick and choose the verses that we want to follow. We have this tendency to pick and choose the doctrines that we like. We have this tendency to pick and choose the attributes of God that, that, that we identify with. Okay, and that appeal to us. But, but that's why we struggle balancing between grace and truth. is because we want to we pick one over the other and, rather than just accepting the whole thing. We want to pick and choose what parts of the Bible that apply to us and what parts apply to someone else. I mean, when it comes to me, I am all about those verses that are about grace, okay? When it's about me, I'm all about that grace. But when it's, when it's about other people, I'm all about those verses that are about truth because we have this tendency to play up scriptures and, and, and to downplay other scriptures. Well, today we're going to talk about one of those scriptures that is downplayed very often, one of those scriptures that we like to kind of gloss over and ignore. And so with every bit of effort in me, I want to be full of grace and truth and I want to be transparent. I want to talk about this important facet of following Jesus today. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter number 4. Because actually this facet of following Jesus, just like our mission, comes from the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And what I want to do with you for you this morning, I just want to lay all my cards right on the table, right up front, and jump right in here and read the text to you. And then what we'll, what we'll do is we'll take it apart and, and talk about what it means for you, as painful as it may be. Uh, and so it begins in verse number 1. Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner... For the Lord urge you, okay, and here it is, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now this is one verse, one small verse. And in this version, there's only 24 words in this verse. But in this verse, this small little verse is an idea so big and so important that if we would do what it says, it would change the entire world. But in this verse is an idea so many of us, we want to overlook. Let me read it for you again, and then we'll take it apart. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And notice that Paul, he opens up this, this, uh, this verse with his famous connector word, therefore. Okay? When you read Paul's letters, you will notice he will say therefore over and over again. And when you read his letters, when you see that word, you need to pay close attention because what Paul is doing is he is building off of what he's already written or said. He's, he, what he's saying is like, in light of everything I've said, now we're going to talk about something that connects to that. And so Paul, you know, he does that, you know, as he's written... Ephesians, this letter in Ephesians, he's, he's basically saying that, you know, I've written three chapters so far worth of doctrine and theology. And it begins in verse chapter 1 where Paul talks about spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Blessings from the Father, blessings from the Son, blessings from the Spirit. And then in chapter 2 he talks about how we're made alive in Christ and how we are seated with God in heavenly places in Christ. It's also in chapter 2 Paul expounds upon one of the most, most important and one of the most beloved loved ideas in all of Christianity. Salvation by grace through faith. In chapter 2, we read these beloved verses. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. 
not result of works, so that any may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then in chapter 3, Paul talks about the mystery of the gospel and he wraps up this long theological treatise, you know, this long theological lecture about Christianity with, the two, some, with two verses that so many of us love and that give us comfort as he writes, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to to the power at work within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so Paul, what he's saying here, when he says, therefore, what he's saying is, in light of all of that, in light of all that I just talked about, okay, in light of all that God has already done for you, all right, so in light of all that God has done for you and is able to do for you, in light of the fact that you were saved by grace and not by your works, and in light of the fact that you were made one in Christ regardless of gender or race or nationality or social status, in light of the fact that you have access to God through faith in Christ, in light of all of this and all that God has done for you, Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner or a slave or, or someone who is sold out for Jesus... In light of all this, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Because of everything that God has done for you, I urge you to walk worthy of your calling. That's what he's saying here. In light of everything that God has done for you, walk worthy of that. And so this this word urge that Paul uses here in the Greek... It's really a strong emotional word. It has to do, like, it's an emotional invitation. It's like, I implore you. I beg you. I, I, you know, I emotionally, you know, I urge you with emotional urgency. In light of everything that God has done for you, walk worthy of your calling. Because, because of all that God has done, I'm begging you to walk worthy of that. Now, let's just explore this phrase just a little bit more. The word walk that Paul uses here is a very complex word. It's a complex Greek word. It means to walk around. It can mean to tread or to follow or to be occupied with. It's the idea of continuous action, to be continually engaged, to be continually doing something, continually walking without stopping. And so what Paul is trying to communicate here as he uses this word is in light of what God's done for you, you need to walk and be completely engaged or live your life to the fullest way possible for a specific reason. A specific reason. Focusing on that reason. And that reason is to walk worthy of your calling. Now this word calling that Paul uses here this is not a religious word, okay? This word that he uses here is, is an invitation, okay? It also can mean your vocation or, or your job, okay? And so the idea here is that your calling isn't, isn't some religious thing. Your calling, you know, or your vocation is like your career. It defines who you are. I want you to think about this for a second. When someone asks you, what do you do? Well, you say, I'm a millwright, or I'm an electrician, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a clerk, or I'm a pastor. You don't say, well, I weld things, or I count money, or I just preach sermons. When someone asks you what you do, you don't tell them what you do. You tell them who you are. You're identified by your vocation. And it's the same idea here. Being a follower of Christ isn't simply something you do. It is who you are. 
It is your vocation. It is your calling. We're to be called, we're called to be Christ followers. And that should influence every part of your life. It's not a part-time thing. It's an all-the-time thing. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's an everyday thing. That right here, is, this is a big idea. It's not simply, you know, just praying a prayer and showing up on Sunday mornings, you know, to a service and, and then putting the what would Jesus do sticker on your car. This is about who you become in Christ, who you are called to be by God. Being a Christian is not just part of your life. It is your entire life. It involves your whole life. It is not part of your identity. It is your very identity. And that identity influences every aspect of your life. And your calling is the mission and the life's work that God is calling you to as a follower of Jesus. It's a sacred responsibility. And so what Paul is saying is in light of everything that God has done for you and all that he will ever do for you, in light of that spiritual blessing, you need to walk and live your life in a manner worthy of that sacred calling in your life. And this word worthy that Paul uses here is a complex word as well. It can mean appropriate. You're to to walk in a manner that's appropriate, appropriate for a Christ follower. You're to walk, you know, and live as a Christ follower, as, as, as a Christ follower should walk and live. The word also can mean worthy of God. We need to walk and live a life that, as a Christ follower, in a way that's worthy of God. And this word also means something that is worthy. Uh, it reflects the very nature of God's character. And again, the idea here is that we are to walk and live your life as someone who follows Jesus in a way that reflects the very nature and character of God. That you're to live in a way that, that, that you are to pursue your calling and to follow Jesus in a way that reflects God's own nature. And you do that. And you do that in light of of all that God has already done for you and is continuing to do for you. Now understand, because there's a way to walk worthy, there's also a way to walk unworthy. Because there's a way to walk that reflects the character of God, there's also a way to walk that destroys the image of the character of God. You see, Paul is telling us that we're to walk worthy. He's also saying there's, there's a way to walk unworthy of being a Christ follower. There's absolutely a way to live that is unworthy of what God through Christ has done for us. There's absolutely a way that we can consistently engage and live that, that is unholy and wholly unworthy of being a Christ follower. And, and this is where it's at. This is the crossroads. This is the hard part. Because we can sing the songs and we can say praise the Lord and we can come to church and we can put a little something in the offering plate and we can wear the not of this world t-shirt. But we can still live lives and walk in a way that's completely, completely unworthy of being a Christ follower. And we can do so in a way that's completely disgraceful. All the while still saying, I'm a Christian. You see, the church is full of Christians who want to talk about what the Bible has to say about this and about that. But they act like flirting isn't lust. And sex outside of marriage isn't a big deal. People who claim that, that, that they've made a, you know, Jesus the Lord, who, and can, who continually engage in gossip and keeping alive the destructive disease of rumor making. 
There are people who claim to walk with God who carry with them vile, bitter grudges because they're unwilling. I mean, they're, they're willing to accept God's grace, but they are unwilling to extend it. There are people who are proud to call themselves Christians and even go so far to call themselves Baptists, but all they can do is complain about the music selection and the clothes people wear to church. There are people who want to make an emotional appeal, you know, and emotional professions of faith and people who cry, you know, with brokenness at certain songs being sung and people who cry out to God to heal them only to leave the church to continue to live and behave just like the rest of the world does. You see, so many Christians think that the reason people out there aren't coming to church is because of them. The truth be told, so many people aren't coming to church because of us. They see in us the hypocrisy. Because in spite of all that God has done for us, we don't walk worthy of the calling that we've been called. They hear the words we say about God's abundant grace and how that grace should compel us to obedience and that we should want to live different lives. And then they witness our actions that fully demonstrate we're unwilling to be obedient ourselves. And so, of course, they call us hypocrites, rightfully so. So many of us Christians ignore what Paul says here. And and so what we do is, is we walk in a manner completely unworthy of Christ's calling for our lives, to be a Christ follower. In fact, many people who profess, you know, uh, Christ aren't really actually Christ's followers. They're Christ's fans. They're not followers. They're fans of Jesus. And there's a difference. They like Jesus. They're happy that Jesus died for their sins. They're happy that they can walk guilt-free. And they'll cheer for Jesus and they'll cheer for the cause of Christ like we, we cheer for our sports team. But they're fans of Christ. They don't actually do what Christ is actually calling them to do. They don't actually follow Him. They don't actually, you know, go where Christ leads, especially when it gets hard. They ignore what Christ says about denying yourself and repentance and picking up your cross and loving your enemies and forgiving as, as God has forgiven you or, or it's better to give than to receive. Instead, they, like the rest of the world, go on. They don't go where Christ leads. They go where their desires lead. You see, many of us have grown up in this culture that fosters a notion that you can follow Jesus Christ and at the same time follow your own desires that are contrary to God's very own word. That's why a growing number of Christians are okay with sex outside of marriage. That's why a growing number of Christians are okay in accepting same-sex marriage. That's why whole denominations can rationalize the murder of infants you know, in the mother's womb because somehow they can reconcile walking with Christ and at the same time walking away from what His commands are. Let me just tell you though, if you follow your desires and your desires lead you to be disobedient to the Word of God, you are not following Jesus. You're walking away from Him. And you do so to your detriment and the detriment of all those people who are watching you and watching your life. Now let me be clear. What I'm not saying here, I'm not saying what you do saves you. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that that you have to be obedient for God to accept you. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, Paul in this very book, in chapter 2, in the same letter says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Which is something that Paul consistently taught throughout the New Testament. In fact, in Romans, we read chapter 6. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we earn 
What we rightfully earn by our sin is God's righteous punishment. But the free gift, something we don't earn, is eternal life. Salvation is a free gift. Now you might think, well, if that's the way it is, if it's a free gift, then why all this talk about walking worthy of our calling? I mean, if it's a free gift, then why do I need to be worthy of anything, right? Why do I need to walk worthy of that gift? Doesn't that imply that I need to do something to earn, you know, my salvation? Isn't that a contradiction in terms? Not at all. That's not what Paul is talking about at all. Paul is saying something completely different. That's why it's important to actually pay attention to what Paul is saying here. He says, therefore, or in light of, in light of the fact that you are a wretched, no-good sinner destined for hell, in light of the fact that you are irreparably broken from birth, in light of the fact that you are vile and you have within you the ability to engage in lust and vanity and hate and jealousy, and in light of the fact that you are completely capable of murder, in fact, you have committed murder many times in your own heart, in light of the fact that you, even though you think you're a good person, you're a fallen creature with no redeeming qualities whatsoever because of the stain of your sin. And in light of the fact that there's no reason whatsoever for God to love you, but He chose to love you anyway. And not only did He choose to love you anyway, but He, out of that same love for you, sent His Son to the earth to be tortured and killed for you. He allowed his son to be beaten and spit upon and mocked and humiliated and nailed to the cross in order to pay the payment for your sins because you couldn't do it yourself because you were pathetic and broken and helpless. God came to the earth to become a man in order to save you. And in light of that truth, and in light of that fact of that free gift, in light of that knowledge, something inside of you ought to motivate you to want to live worthy of that unimaginable gift that God has given you. That if you actually understood the score, if you actually understood, you know, you know that you've been sa- what you've been saved from, if you actually understood how pathetic and broken you really are, something in you ought to motivate you to gratitude so foundational that you would want to live the way that God wants you to live, that you would live worthy of the calling that God has given you because He's removed you from death and put you into life. What Paul is saying here is in light of all that God has done for you, wouldn't it make sense for you to live a way that honors you know, the undeserved gift that God has given you? I mean, if someone gives you a gift, you say thank you. And you say thank you even for like, 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 like small gestures and even cheesy little gifts. How much more should we thank, thank, say thank you to God for all he's done for us? I mean, what better way to express gratitude than to aspire to live in the manner worthy of that gift? That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that in light of the fact that you're unworthy and unlovable and covered in sin, God chose to love you and he chose to rescue you. And because of that, Paul says, I urge you, I beg you to live a life, you know, in a manner worthy of that calling that God is calling you to, which is to be a follower of the very one who paid the price for your freedom in the first place. So don't just say, I followed Jesus. Actually get busy following him. Follow where Jesus leads. 
let's not just say that we're a loving community of Christ followers. Let's actually be a loving community of Christ followers who are passionately in pursuit of Jesus as we follow him. And because of that, that we are following him, we're deeply connected to one another. And because that we're following Christ, we're completely committed to actively sharing the hope and the healing of the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world. Because we are First Baptist Church and following Jesus isn't just what we do, it is who we are. And because of that, everyone, everyone is welcome here. And that is the part of following Christ that we're going to focus on this year. Deliberately focusing on what God has done for us and in light of that, walking in a manner worthy of that calling. It's time, my friends, it's time for us to sell out for Jesus. It's time for us to sell all the way out for the gospel in Jesus Christ. It's time to stop being a fan. It's time to be, it's, it's, it's time to be a follower. It's time to take discipleship seriously, which means we need to take holiness, personal holiness seriously. It's time to get serious about repentance. It's time to finally say, Lord, you're more important to me than my desires. Lord, you're more important to me than that private little sin that I hide from everybody that I engage in. Lord, you are worthy of all that I can possibly give you. It's time to stop talking the talk and start walking the walk. And so because of that, we're going to focus on that. We're going to continue to focus on being full of grace and truth, absolutely. But we're, going to, we're also going to focus on walking and living in a manner that's worthy of our calling. We're going, to, we're going to focus on being authentic Christ followers. And I'm going to be just, just tell you right now, I know. Whatever objection you might have right now, I'm going to say, I know. I know it's going to be tough. I know that there's going to be challenges. I know that there's going to be great temptations. I know that you're going to fall down. But when you do, I'm going to be right here. I'm going to urge you, I'm going to beg you, and I'm going to encourage you to get up and continue following where Jesus leads. I'm going to call you and exhort you to live and walk worthy of the gift that you have been given. We are going to focus on this week in and week out because, because in light of what God has done for us, it's the least we can do as an expression of gratitude. And in addition to that, just imagine... Just imagine how things would change. I mean, in fact, close your eyes and just bow your heads for a second and just imagine this. What does your life look like if you sell all the way out for Jesus? If you were to sell all the way out for Christ in every part of your life? How does that change your family life? How does it change your relationships? How does it change your, your life at work and your life at school? Just imagine if, if, if your small group would sell out and live worthy of your calling. How would that change things? What about the church? Just imagine if we just had a church, an entire church of people sold out for Jesus. How would it change the very culture here and the very nature of this congregation itself? If we sold out 100% to follow Jesus, how does it change the way you see others? How does it change the way others see us? How does it change the credibility problem we have to be a group of people who are sold out for Jesus and walking in a way that honors Him completely. How does it change our community and our world around us? It changes everything when we decide to sell it for Christ. It changes everything. So, again, close your eyes and bow your heads. I just want to ask you, how many of you are willing to commit today to selling out and walking worthy of that calling. Let me see your hands. How many of you are willing to just sell all the way out for Jesus? 
All right. Let me pray for you and pray for this congregation. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. And I thank you, Lord, for your word. And I thank you, Lord God, that it is sharper than a two-edged sword. I know that this has laid my own heart and my own soul bare. And I just pray, Lord God, that you'd remove from me the things that aren't pleasing to you. That you would help me to just wake up every day with a passion for your name and a passion for your word. And that I would submit every thought and every action to you, Lord. That I would sell out completely in every aspect of my life that I would want to walk worthy, that when people see me, even people that, that hate you would see the love and the hope that comes from you. And I, and, I, and I ask that for all of us, Lord, that this congregation would be a people who are so passionate for your word that we would set aside our own lives. We'd pick up that cross. We would deny ourselves, Lord. We would go out into this world and this community and we would storm the gates of hell, Lord, and we would share the gospel of Jesus Christ with our neighbors and we would invite them here and they would come here and immediately see you at work here. And that they would find that hope and healing that they need. And I just pray, Father, that in our midst that you are glorified and that your son is lifted up. And I thank you. And I just give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.